Well, good morning to you. Uh, Barb and I are happy to be back at church. We've been gone several Sundays just uh, doing ministry in other places, and it's, it's nice to be back where it's warm. <laughs> we were in Mongolia for a while. It's zero degrees there, not real warm. We were in Colorado this week, cold, nice Southern California. It was uh, back in the 70s, before most of you were born. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I said that. The devil made me say that, I think. Back in the 70s, um, the, the musical came out called uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. I know none of you have seen it, but I went to see it because I, I love uh, um, Weber's music, I love I loved the way he does things, and, and I also knew people would ask me what I thought about the theology, and so I went to see it. Uh, in Act One, there's a scene that I've never been able to get on my mind in all these years. There's a mound, and Jesus is standing on that mound talking to his father, and he's talking to his father about the needs of the people that he's now with and seeing every day, and the burden of his heart is evident. And at some point during the song, the mound begins to move. And hands become, come out of the mound and reach up toward him. And you realize that he's standing on the mound of humans. And they're reaching up and they begin to sing this chant about touch me, heal me, help me. And you realize suddenly it impressed upon me what a day in his life must have been like. The people who knew that he could meet their needs, all reaching out to him and calling to him and wanting him to do something in their life all day long. No days off. It's like if I announced to you that at 12 o'clock today, there's going to be a guy get off the train here in San Juan. And by the way, he has a history of being able to heal anybody that's lame or has any kind of a problem. So if you've got a backache or you've got an arm problem or you've got, you're blind or whatever problem, he can heal you. Oh, and by the way, he can also call people out of the dead. And, and besides that, if there's a big enough crowd, he'll feed them. Eat all you want. You'll be full. Most of you would be there. Either just to watch or to be met by this guy. That was his life. That's the way he lived. Uh, but there was another side to his life. And that's the side I call those eye-popping questions, eye-opening questions. People had questions they asked him all the time. Disciples, the people he touched, the people he ministered to. Can you imagine? Somebody has said a four-year-old asks 400 questions a day. I mean, just think, how many of you have heard people say, the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is ask Jesus, and then they have a question, like, why did you make mosquitoes? <laughs> you know, really significant stuff. Why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? Those questions that come all the time. So we're going to talk about the question that was the most important. And in fact, I think... In thinking about it this last week, it's, it's really not the eye-opening question, it's a heart-opening question. 
Now they come in all shapes and sizes, and I had some fun thinking about this, so I went into my family archives. This is a picture of my grandson on the beach down here in San Clemente. He's proposing to Abby. She said yes. It's kind of encouraging. I don't know whether that's an eye-opening situation because her eyes are covered. She's got her hands over her face. I don't know whether he thought, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> but I don't think she was surprised. I mean, you know, walking along hand in hand on the beach and just happened to run into a little table. <laughs> Come on, with flowers on it. And a photographer standing right there. I mean, come on. That's not an eye-opening thing. Last month, my, my, another granddaughter was at the Saturday Night Live taping in New York, and her boyfriend popped the question to her. But I don't know. Look at that face. Is that an eye-opening expression? Or is it like, well, finally. <laughs> happy, joyful, pleased. But this is a picture of two people who both experienced an eye-opening experience. He, he was about 20, she was about 19. They were working for the Salvation Army in Colorado at a camp for juvenile delinquents. They had never dated never gone together. In fact, she was going with a guy in Texas. He was going with a girl in California. They had been there one month, and he said to her on that very bridge, you know, I just really believe God would have us serve him together. They had never dated, never even held hands. Her eyes really flew open because <laughs> she's trying to figure out what he's saying. Like, are we going into business? Are we going to work in the same church? What are you saying? And he, she said, so she answered him, putting him off. Uh, I don't know what to say. And he says, don't worry about it. We're not allowed to date because we're working for the Salvation Army. So you just pray about it, think about it, let me know what you think. Really romantic guy. <laughs> Two days later, she says to him, I've been thinking about what you said, and I think you're right eye-popping moment, because now he had to use the M word. Then you'll marry me. And she said, yes. Now, I know that's exactly how it went, because I was there. <laughs> they took a year to get acquainted and got married. And at last report, it's still working. You've had many eye-popping experiences. Jesus had some guys who decided, and if you're in Matthew chapter 22, let's look at verse 15 to start with. Jesus had some guys who decided they were going to try to trap him. He would be speaking to a group of people, you've had this experience, and they would just barge in and break up the conversation. Remember that significant conversation you were in and somebody came and asked a question that was totally unrelated and interrupted it, said, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's what cell phones do all the time. And crashed into your, well, that happened to him constantly. 
These people, verse 15 of chapter 22, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. In other words, we're going to ask a question that traps him if we can. Round one, you heard a couple weeks ago from Pastor Ty. The Pharisees came right after this in the story, and they asked this question about taxes, totally unrelated to what Jesus was talking about, and Jesus resolved that. But they were trying to get him in trouble with Rome. Round two, Pastor Ty told us about the story of the, guy, the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection, but they asked a question about the resurrection because they wanted to get him in trouble with the Jews who believed in the resurrection. And they had this. I, I, when he was preaching this, I, I couldn't believe he could keep a straight face. The story they created, seven guys, brothers, who married this girl and one died and then, the, I mean, they just went on and on. Took forever to tell their story and Jesus just took care of it easy. Last week, Pastor Micah told you about round three. A lawyer came to Jesus. He wants to get him in trouble with God himself. He says, God made the commandments, there were 10 of them, which ones are important? <laughs> like, come on, Jesus, if you're so smart, tell us which ones are important because whatever he says other than what God said is going to get him in trouble. And Jesus handled it so well. And you heard that last week. Then Jesus, verse 42, turns to the men and said, um, I have a question for you. This, um, let me see where I am. What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Who's, whose son is he? Well, what an what a obvious softball pitch that was. They all knew. The, they had known the answer since they were children. They had known the answer for a thousand years. They had been reading the prophets. They knew what the prophets said. That guy's going to be a descendant of David. He's going to be like David. He's going to be a human. He's going to be an attractive human. He's going to have a great heart, maybe a heart like God, just like David. He's going to come. He's going to restore Israel. He's going to restore all that we've lost. He's going to chase the enemy out of here, get rid of the Romans. Why, he's going to usher in the good old days. And then Jesus said, well, uh, that's interesting because how is it then that David, when he was in the spirit, when God came upon him, called this Messiah Lord and quoted from David himself in Psalm 110? How, how is it? that you think the Messiah's the son of David, but if David were here and I asked him, he would say he's the son of God. So the heart-opening question, eye-opening question today for you and for me, I've been working on this. This has been a tough thing because this is, this is tough territory. 
The eye-opening question is, have you let Jesus be the Son of God? Or is he still the son of David? And there is, a, there is a, a powerful difference. There's a major difference. Jesus himself answers this in, in Revelation chapter 22, the last, one of the last things that Jesus says. And he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. So here we are. We are the church. And God has sent his angel. <laughs> Must be me. <laughs> you have your doubts, don't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's say messenger. God has sent his messenger to report this to you. Look at this. He says, I am the root, the very beginning of everything. I brought life to everything. I'm I'm the bottom of the whole thing. I hold everything up. I am the root. I am also the descendant of David. Yes, I did live in a human body. Yes, I was on the earth. Yes, I am related to David. I know what you feel. I know what you think. I know how it works. But I am also the bright morning star. I have lit your way, and I will light it every day the rest of your life. And into eternity, we're going to go together. I will be there shining for you. That's who I am. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. That's who I am. But I think sometimes the American church has a hard time because we see Jesus as the son of David who is going to restore things that we want. So he's supposed to provide for us happiness and joy and satisfaction. He's supposed to meet our needs. He's kind of our servant. And he's going to build our kingdom, help us build our kingdom. Sometimes, folks, I'm sorry, but we think this way. But he says, I'm not only the son of David, I am the son of God, and I'm here to redeem mankind of their sins, restore them to a proper position with God and build his kingdom. And if you will come along with me, let's do that together. And that's the invitation he gives to us. So yesterday, coming home on the plane, I was thinking this through and I wrote some questions down. C.S. Lewis says we have a choice to make. And the choice is really simple. He says, you must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And if you happen to fall at his feet and call him Lord and God then that puts him in the driver's seat, not you. Pretty simple. But if he is still just the son of David, then you better take charge because you're in a lot of trouble. You have nobody helping you in life. 
Here's the questions I wrote down. Here's the choice you have in your relationship with Christ. Is Jesus there to help you succeed in what you want to do? Or is he there to show you what to do? Which one? That's your choice. But it's a difference between son of David, son of God. Second one. Is Jesus there to serve you? To be at your beck and call. Allowing you to be angry and say, God, where are you? Because he didn't do things your way. Or is he there to show you what he wants you to do in the process of building his kingdom? Where are we in that? Number three. Is he there to help you live the life you're hoping to live, you've planned to live, you've set out your goals and your dreams, and it's his job to help you get there? Or is he life itself? And he's all you need. I got more. I, I had a long flight yesterday. Is he a good guy related to David who lived in history and did amazing things? Or is he indeed the son of God who redeemed you from an eternity in hell? Is he someone of the past that we celebrate because he actually hung on a cross and in fact maybe we wear the symbol that he hung on the cross, or is he our savior? And we wear the symbol as an announcement that we have been sinners saved by his grace and we are his children. Let me do one more. I got lots of them. Is he somebody that we just think about on special occasions? Or is he somebody we check in on every day to see how we can serve him. We have choices, folks. You can follow the Jesus who is the son of David. And you'll be spending the rest of your life looking for the Jesus who is the son of God. He is both. We can't separate it. So what do we do? If he is our savior and the son of God for us, then he says there's some things we need to do and we need to pay attention to it. Now, if he's the, if he's the son of David, we only, these are only suggestions. We don't have to do them. And there are things that Pastor Micah talked about last week. There's two commands. One is that we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Micah said it really well. He makes God our first love. We love him more than anything else. You know, we all carry this big basket around, and we love, uh, we love the Dodgers. We love uh, Chevrolets. We love certain TV programs. We love people. We love food. We, love, we have this basket of things we love. Oh, and yes, we love God. Wonder if we just had one basket and it was all focused on loving God 
When we're alone, that's all we do is express our love for God and lie to, try to figure out how to show him we love him and everything else just is a part of life. That's what he says. It's a commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. There's not a whole lot left. And the second one is just like it, Jesus said. You're to love your neighbor like yourself. And, and Micah said it so well last Sunday. I hope you heard it, and I hope you wrote it down. It's taking the invisible Christ and through our love for other people, making him visible. It's letting people see Jesus in action. That's what God wants to do through you and through me. We don't have to do that if he's just the son of David, kind of a historical guy, and we're going to build our kingdom. But if we're building his kingdom and he's the son of God, then you really can't afford not to forgive people we need to forgive. If you still have somebody there you're not forgiven, you haven't taken him as the son of God because he forgave you and showed you how to do it. You haven't bought into that. And then there's two things that Jesus said right off. He says, I, I want you to do two things. I want you, one, to seek first before you seek anything else. Maybe before you do anything in the morning, maybe before you do anything else when you have to make a decision, maybe you think about this first, the kingdom of God, because that's what you belong to if Jesus is the Son of God in your relationship. You belong to the kingdom of God. So you seek how business is done in God's kingdom. How are priorities? What are the habits? What are the goals of God? He's running this kingdom. And I belong to the kingdom, and I'm seeking that first. And secondly, I'm seeking Jesus' righteousness. I always say righteousness is doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason. All kinds of those rights. Add your own words. It's wearing that badge that says, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus decide in this, this situation? It's being like Jesus. I want you to meet uh, Bain Sayer. I just feel good when I see him. He's my friend in Mongolia. I was there a couple weeks ago and spent some time, a lot of time, in fact, a whole week with Sayer. Bayer. That's his name, one name. That's the way they do it there. 21 years old, he, um, he was attracted to a young lady. He had never heard of Jesus. He had never seen a Bible. He'd never been in a church. He was raised in communist Mongolia. Atheist. Not by choice, just had never heard. But at 21, he met this girl, and he wanted to spend time with her. And she says, yeah, you can spend time with me, but you got to go to someplace with me. Well, where are you going? Well, I'm trying to figure out who this guy Jesus is. Who's Jesus? Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. And I'm going to a meeting, and they're going to tell me more about him. You want to go? Well, he wanted to be with her, so he went to the meeting. Two years later, after two years of meetings, hearing about Jesus for the first time, Reading Bibles for the first time, he, of course, made Jesus, the Son of God, his king. This guy talks to Mongolia. 
every day. We have 14 radio stations in Mongolia. They're the, the, they're the radio stations people listen to. God, in amazing ways, have opened us to good, good favor there among the government, so they let us do this. We have 14 stations. He talks every day for 10 years. 10 years. As he's grown closer to the Son of God, he has told people on the radio every day about his journey. Thousands of people are followers of Jesus because of Sam Bayer. How's your journey going? Last 10 years. What have you done with, not for, with the Son of God? Who knows about him because of you? Are you building his kingdom? Or are you building your own kingdom? That's what this question is. And it's a question we all have to answer. Who is this man named Jesus in your life and my life? Let's pray together. Father, it's a tough question because it's so easy in this culture to just go along with the breeze and say, oh, yeah, 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 I know about Jesus. But that's not enough for you. You died to own us, to redeem us, to save us. You rose from the grave to take us with you through life, to walk beside us, to live inside of us, to give us peace and joy and satisfaction. You want to bless us. You are so anxious to give us the fullness of life. Let me just pause here for a moment. In this prayer, I want to pray for you if you're here today and saying, hey, I've never, I've never let Jesus be the Son of God in my life. And I want to do that today. I want Jesus to be my Savior, not just a guy I know about. I want him to be my Savior, my Redeemer, <laughs> my friend. And if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. I don't know how to do that unless we had people raise hands in the first service and somebody told me they're sure I missed their hand. So let me, let me just say, if that's you, why don't you stand up and let me pray for you right here. I know that's tough, but this is an eye-opening question. Do you want Jesus to be the Son of God in your life? And if that's true, I want to pray for you. Anybody? Maybe you've all made this call. Any of you would say, hey, I need to ask God's forgiveness because I've pushed him off as the son of David and building my kingdom, and I recognize I'm going the wrong way. I need to go the other direction. And I'm, I'm going to stand in confession that I've been going the wrong way, and God is going to take over from now on. Anybody want to do that? Oh, this is brave, isn't it? It's tough. But I'd love to pray for you as we close the service, if that's you. Anybody? Father, you know these people and you know their hearts and you know what they're saying. Thank you for your willingness to be our God 
and to draw us to you, to redeem us so that we can walk with you and live with you and, and experience joy and peace and satisfaction that only you can give. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, bless us, help us to walk with you every day as our Savior, as the Son of God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.